Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation, so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ezekiel chapter 11. And the last time the message was titled, No Turning Back. No Turning Back. Just to be clear, um, we're talking about the 6th century B.C. Babylonian Empire takeover, um, especially with respect to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. The third siege was 588 B.C. to 586 B.C., where the Babylonians finally breached the wall of Jerusalem, and they end up getting in. Uh, so if you open your history books or you read the Bible, you're going to see the same exact account. Just for fun, I like to read history books that are secular in nature, and they mention all the different people in the Bible that lived, which is pretty awesome because there are a lot of archaeological discoveries. Now, when we say, when the title is No Turning Back, I have to qualify that because when we look at God's economy, right, Um, We're always able to turn back to God. If you're breathing and you're living, you can turn to God. As a matter of fact, that's really what repentance means. A lot of people are afraid of that word repent, but it means to change. It means to turn. Turn from your self-directed life and turn to God. Unfortunately, in this time period, the inhabitants of Jerusalem relied more on their wall than on their God. So they pretty much were in denial until the walls started coming down and the Babylonian soldiers were getting in. Uh, Today, the message is titled Hope Through It All. So we do see this kind of sad portion of history, but we do find that there is hope through it all. right? And we're going to go and pick these verses out where God sprinkles these uh, beautiful messages of encouragement to the people, even though they're going through a difficult time. And folks, we, we, you know, we may not have the Babylonians breaking down our door to get into our house, but we go to our own trials. And we know that it's the same God who loved them also loves us. And we're going to look at this in five parts. So we're almost out of the historical part of Ezekiel. We've actually gone through 25% of the prophetic book. I cannot wait to get into Ezekiel 38, 39 and some of these heavily prophetic books that actually from 2,500 years ago, the last year going on in the Middle East, and we often don't see it in our media, but there's a lot going on in the world and it's lining up with what the scripture says. So, you know, I'm going to pretty much, you know, bring it to you and uh, you'll see what I'm talking about when we get there. So we're going to jump in now. There's a a lot of dialogue here. There's a lot of history. So I'm going to, I don't need to go through every verse. I'm going to do a little bit of more of a topical study and then pull out the points that we need to focus on, especially since there's a lot of repetition. I don't want to keep going through the repetition. So jumping in Ezekiel chapter 11, verse 1. So Ezekiel speaking, then the spirit or the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God lifted me up and brought me to the east gate of the Lord's house. So we're in He's taken them to Jerusalem, the temple, the east gate, which faces eastward. And there at the door at the gate were 25 men, among whom I saw Jazaniah, the son of Azor, and Pelatiah, the son of Benaiah, princes of the people. And he, the Lord said to me, son of man, these are the men who devise iniquity and give wicked counsel 
in this city who say, more of a question, the time is not near to build houses. This city is the cauldron and we are the meat or the choice meat. Prophesy against them. Prophesy, O son of man. Then the spirit of the Lord fell upon me and said to me, speak. Thus says the Lord, thus you have said, O house of Israel, for I know the things that come into your mind. So it's a little... You know, it's a little learning curve. You know, you're trying to follow who's talking, when are they talking. Um, God is speaking to Ezekiel, and he's saying, listen, I know their conversations. I know what they're thinking. I know the lies they're telling their people or their constituents, as we would use today. Uh, but you have to respond this way. You know, the prophet would speak for God. He says, he's saying, God is speaking about them, the leaders. You have multiplied your slain in the city. And you have filled its streets with the slain. Therefore, says the Lord God, your slain whom you have laid in its midst, they are the meat. And this city is the cauldron, but I shall bring you out of the midst of it. You have feared the sword and I will bring the sword upon you, says the Lord. I will bring you out of its midst and deliver you into the hands of strangers and execute judgments on you. You shall fall by the sword. I will judge you with the border of Israel." then you shall know that I am the Lord. Remember, this is God speaking before it actually happens. This city shall not be your cauldron or your large, uh, you know, cast iron pot. And we'll see how God uses the cauldron and how the deceived leaders are using the cauldron. Nor shall you be the meat in its midst. I will judge you at the border of Israel and you shall know that I am the Lord. For you have not walked in my statutes nor executed my judgments, but have done according to the customs of the Gentiles, which are all around you. So one out of five is these 25 wicked rulers. Now we're looking at the the phraseology. We're looking at the colloquialisms. It's a little bit of a learning curve. In context, when you see God's response, because it's diametrically opposed to what these wicked leaders were saying, you can start forming a picture of this dialogue. So the colloquialisms and the phraseology make more sense. You can understand it in a general term, even if you haven't delved as deeply as I have in the cultural aspects of it. Uh, Verse 3, you could see him sort of asking a question. Isn't it time to build houses? God said, don't build houses. Don't build houses. And then the leaders are saying, build houses. So, you know, the, the people had to decide who they wanted to listen to. Verses 5 through 12, right? God is saying to the wicked leaders, you're not safe because of the evil that you have done. And God debunks what we would call the protective cauldron theory. You know, when people are very far from God and they purposely move away from God, that their thinking starts to get odd. It gets strange. It gets bizarre. So here you have the leaders telling the people, you know, we're like the choice cuts of meat. And we're in this protective cast iron cauldron or pot. But what's a pot used for? To cook the meat. So they have this weird theory that they're protected. And God's like, no, no, no. You sort of have the elements right, but you're wrong as far as what's going to happen in the next few years. Right? So you see this kind of going back and forth. Um, And I got to tell you that, again, when we stray far from God, our thinking starts to change for the worse. There's no mooring point. There's no anchoring point. Right. And some will say, you know, you try to help them out and say, you know, well, this is the what what the word says. And I've heard this. No, no, no. God told me. And then you just have to back off because that's basically saying, don't give me your advice. Me, me and the big guy are, you know, we're tight. But God would not tell you something that goes against 
the truths that are established in his word. So there's a lot to this. 2,500 years ago, uh, we can see things today. Verse 5, he says, I know the things that come into your mind. God can read our thoughts. Now, for people who are not familiar with the Bible or don't have a close, and I don't say this as a pejorative, I just try to draw people in to get closer to God. But if you don't know the Lord, maybe, you know, I grew up in a home where there was no teachings of God. I didn't know the Bible. My family was, you know, when I became a Christian, it was a learning curve. I started reading and trying to understand. So I'm not trying to put anybody down. I'm just saying that when people hear this, that God could read our our thoughts, they get uncomfortable. Because they're not fully comfortable with this father creator who's all love and cares for us but it's when you start to understand that you're more comfortable with it because the way i look at it is when we go through difficulties if i'm struggling even the bible in romans 8 says that if i'm just groaning because just so many bad things are happening and i just can't even talk that the spirit makes intercession for me so where the person who doesn't know god says oh my goodness god could read my thoughts i look at it and i say you know what in my worst times I don't have to even use words. God knows how I'm feeling. He knows what I'm going through. He knows our hurts. He knows our exhaustion. He knows when we're emotionally depleted. Lately, uh, the last Sunday of every month when I have another speaker rotate through my pulpit, I've been going downstairs and teaching the junior and senior high, your kids, the teens. And, you know, I'm not going to just give them a little snappy Bible story and send them home. I like to engage the kids, you know, and I like to you know, get them to, and it's, these, the teens are great because I remember talking about saying to them, you know, when does your faith become your own faith? When is it, and, and this is not a bad thing, when is it not your parents' faith anymore, but it's yours? Amen, right? And they've been interacting with me. One said when a relative passes, you know, and all of a sudden all the teens are just like, but it was a great question to get them to think. When you go off to the military, trade school, college, start your own business, right? And you're, you're not as close to your parents. Your faith has to become your own. It has to become real, your relationship with God. And that's what we preach, relationship with God over and over again. Continuing on, verse 13, he says, now it happened while I was prophesying. So Ezekiel is, he's prophesying. He's, the Lord has given him information. He's passing it on to the people. That Pelatiah, the son of Beniah, died. Then I fell on my face and cried with a loud voice and said, Ah, Lord God, will you make a complete end of the remnant of Israel? Again, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, your brethren, your relatives, your kinsmen, and all the house of Israel in its entirety are those about whom the inhabitants of Jerusalem have said, Get far away from the Lord. This land has been given to us as a possession. I'm going to explain that. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, right? The response, although I have cast them far off among the Gentiles, they go into Babylon, the exiles, and although I have scattered them among the countries, yet I shall be a little sanctuary for them or a sanctuary for a little while in the countries where they have gone. Therefore say, thus says the Lord God, I will gather you from the peoples, assemble you from the countries where you've been scattered. I will give you the land of Israel. And they will go there and they will take away its detestable things and all its abominations from there. So this is interesting because the Israelites were going to lose their place. They had a foreign, powerful nation, Babylon, that was going to drive them from their homeland and take over. So even through the tough times, God is promising them they're going to get their land back. And we see this through history. 
Then I will give them one heart and I will put a new spirit within them and take the stony heart out of their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that they may walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them and that they shall be my people and I will be their God. But as far as those whose hearts walk after the heart of their detestable or abominable things and their abominations, I will recompense their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. So two out of five is future restoration of the remnant. So very interesting, you know, Ezekiel and Isaiah and John and, you know, all the prophetic uh, works, you know, they, they have a very real relationship with God. Sometimes like us, there's things that happen and they don't understand and they express that even in their writings. So uh, Ezekiel is prophesying, and this guy, Pelatiah, he just literally drops dead. And Ezekiel's a little freaked out by that, you know. Was it a lightning bolt? How did it happen? We don't know the details, but he's, he's concerned. He's concerned. He doesn't know, well, this happened. Where is this going to end? And we've been through this in, in the last few chapters, but... Folks, I just say this, you know, our world, we live in a very confused world. Our culture is very confused. You know, people are very passionate about a lot of different things. And there's a lot of, you know, uh, balkanization and camps and all this kind of stuff going on in America. And, you know, the person who's starting out in life wonders, what should I follow? Who do I believe? Right. Listen, I always say this. If you're concerned, be the remnant. God is always taking care of his remnant. Whether we're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, be the remnant. Today, it's trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that he died for your sins. And you go through his word and he gives you uh, an understanding about all spiritual things. It's one thing to have knowledge on this earth. You could be an engineer, you could be a doctor, and you could be at the top of your game. But when you come to Christ... You, you, you start all over again in a sense where now you're learning spiritual things. And I can tell you, when I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything. I'm reading the Bible and I'm putting stickies in and writing notes to my and calling my friends at 11 o'clock at night. But it's kind of cool because, you know, God wants you to know those things about the afterlife and about a relationship and about his new kingdom and all that kind of stuff. It's great stuff. So I say be the remnant. You know, this culture can go off a cliff, but the entirety of the culture could be on the right path. Remember, God gave us free will. It's a choice that we all make, that I made, that many of you make, etc. Verses 15 through 21, there's a war going on with disinformation and the truth. So, unfortunately, the majority, the prevailing thought were the, the king, his court, uh, the leaders, and they were putting out really a lot of disinformation. Um, I, I have to laugh because you see that in the news all the time today, you know, the, the battle for information. And even medicine is being divided up into camps. Some person's got a degree. Let's listen to all of it and then make an educated, a prayerful decision about it, right? Uh, so what's happening is the leaders are mocking the exiles, and they're, they're, they could be related to them, their brethren, their neighbors. So the first two sieges of Babylon, they come in, they, they uh, take a lot of the Israelites against their will, and they exile them to Babylon. So the ones who are still there are kind of acting haughty about this. 
Like you, you get far from the Lord. This is given to us for a possession. Imagine that. It's like kicking somebody when they're down. It's bad enough that they're forcibly exiled into Babylon, but then the ones left, it's this, I don't know, maybe a psychological protective mechanism where they're like, well, we're still here. So maybe God doesn't like you. So you see that's going out there and God has to counteract these, these concepts that are, that are just not true. Right? He says in 15 through 16, the inhabitants of Jerusalem say, get far from the Lord. The land has been given to us as a possession. We're the favored ones. But what God was saying, check this out. God was saying, I'm actually on the side of the exiles. Now, then you would say, well, is God picking favorites? No, he's not. Here's the difference. The ones who are exiled, they found out the hard way that what was going on in Jerusalem was, was evil. So on their trek to, uh, to Babylon, they're listening to Ezekiel. They're hearing uh, information come back from Jeremiah the prophet. And they're realizing, you know what? We, we really messed up. So they're in a state of repentance. So God is like, listen, I want to even restore you. So he's saying to the ones that are still haughty in Jerusalem who think, oh, these walls will never come down. We don't care. We don't want to listen to Jeremiah and all these of God's prophets. He's saying, you're the ones that I have the issue with. So it gets out there. Verse 16, his response is that he would be a little sanctuary or a sanctuary for a little while to the exiles. You know, they might have thought that they were forgotten. And God's basically saying to them, you're not forgotten. I don't forget anybody. You know, and people do this. It's like, um, you know, you could grow up in in a, a town and think you move far away and it's almost like, oh, you kind of have this uncomfortable feeling because your environment changes, the, the people change, you know, there's a lot of things that are changing and you almost kind of, and people do this, they, they thinking, oh, God was with me when I was back there. God is everywhere. So they're in this situation, the exiles, where they're forcibly removed from their homeland to a place that has a different language, different food, different cultures, everything is different. And they almost feel like they're forgotten. And it's not making it better that the leaders of Jerusalem are basically saying, you must have, it's sort of like the Job uh, phenomena, you know, you've done something wrong. That's why you're in exile. And God is saying, no, 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 I'm with you guys because you've had a change of heart. You've turned back to me. You see the difference? And what do we, we hear this today. Oh, God's on the side of these people. God's on, we see this today. God's on the side of those people. God is on the side of those who have a humble heart and know how to turn to him, right? Is not totally filled with themselves, but open to the things of God. That's what God is for. That's who he's for. He loves everyone, but he's not going to force people who are rebelling against him to come back to him. The parable of the prodigal son. The father did everything he could except follow his son into the pig pen and say, you really shouldn't do this. He had to let his son go. But when his son was ready to come back, he, what did he do? He fell on his, fell on him. He hugged on him. He kissed him. He hugged him because he always wanted him to come back. And that's our God. That's why Jesus tells that, that parable. So a lot going on here. Um, And I got to be honest with you. Let's just be honest here. When we are going through trials, terrible trials, you know, you you get a bad report. Your blood work came back. It's a problem. You you meet with the doctor. There's a problem. Something's going on with your kid. There's a problem. Something's going on financially. Oh, my goodness. I made a bad decision. We're in trouble as a family. Your emotions can almost make you believe that God forgot you. No, 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 no. 
That's when you really hunker down with the Lord because he's with you through those darkest times. Amen? And I got to be honest with you, sometimes my emotions try to get the better of me when I'm going through a bad trial. And then people will say, where's your God, right? Job's Job's friends. Pastor Paul has been covering that on Wednesday evenings. Um, But it's not true. And then I have to say, I know what the Bible says. I can't let my emotions, which change a lot, determine my theology or my relationship status with the living God or his love for me. So, but, you know, this is, this is where we're at. Um, so you, going back to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and again, people do it today. Um, today, some will say, well, I belong to this denomination, so um, I'm better than you. Or I'm an American, so I'm better than those people. Here it was, I live in Jerusalem, so I'm better than the exiles. Or people today who pray to the east. That's, that's not necessary anymore because now we have a relationship with Jesus Christ. None of those things get us closer to God. What does is a heart that's towards God, that's open to receive and have a relationship with God. So it's pretty heavy stuff here. Verses 19 through 20, a very, very famous scripture in Ezekiel and people use it a lot. Um, you know, taking out the heart of stone and putting in the heart of flesh. And you, I probably would get the expression hard-hearted from that, right? Could you imagine somebody who's, you know, whose heart is a stone? And again, the heart is the, the lebed uh, in Hebrew is a, more a reflection of the, the emotions, the will, and the intellect, which kind of go together. So uh, he, the Hebrew language was very expressive. We even use that today, oh, my heart. Well, the heart is just a four-chamber cardiac muscle. But we use it in, in a way to express our feelings. It's just what we do. It's a cultural thing. So what he's saying is going with the culture is your heart is a heart of stone. But I want to put a heart of flesh in there. But let's look at this contextually. What does this mean? Okay. God was going, he promised the Israelites, even though they were removed from their land, that he would give them their land back. Even though the successive nations weren't necessarily advocates for anybody going back to their homeland, they were just hell-bent on domination. And you can look that, you read up a his, pick up a history book and find that out. But something interesting happened, and I'll, I'll do this in layers, is the Medo-Persians, when they came to power after the Babylonians, showed favor on the Jews and did let them go back and rebuild, which is really unheard of. So did, they get, did, did the nation get a heart of flesh then and remove their detestable things and abominations? No. Because they fell right back into the same problem, right? So it didn't happen then. But look at the successive waves of what God was doing with the nation. Let's look at Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. And I'm going to go through it quickly because there's just something I want to focus on. This is amazing. In the Old Covenant or the Old Testament, God was prophesying and telling the Jewish people, I'm going to make a new covenant or a new agreement with you. Right. So even Jews today who um, 
maybe haven't read the scriptures about Jesus, they know that Jeremiah 31 tells them that God is going to make a a New Testament. So he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which wasn't a bad thing, right? But it was time for a new covenant. And that happened in the first century. My covenant, which they broke, though I was a husband to them, says the Lord, of course, figuratively. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. So you start to see a softening of the heart, right? And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Relationship. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord. For they shall all know me. It's just going to come naturally from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. So in Jeremiah 31, so we go back to the return of Israel through the Medo-Persians, right? Nation of Israel. But then we go through to the first century. Jeremiah 31 prophesies of Jesus changing the relationship status less on objects and temple and, you know, the labor and on all these, you know, the Ten Commandments focus on that. What he's saying is through Christ, it was going to be a heart change. So you see a softening there. You don't have to say, if if you're two Christians, if somebody's really following the Lord, you don't have to say, no, the Lord, because he already has a relationship with the Lord. So one more, right? One more I'm going to cover. Zechariah 12, 10 through 11, which I believe this one is specifically speaking of because this is where the abomination. So when you look at prophecy, you have to say when God fulfills a, a prophecy, he does it 100%, not 99%. So let's look at one more scripture. And this one's going to be in Zechariah. It's going to be Zechariah 12, 10 through 11. Now this is... This one went over our heads. We just at, at first century uh, A.D. This one, this prophecy is, is in the future. When? We don't know. Verse 10, it says, I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. Then they will. Now, this is the whole nation. How did, when, when can you get a whole nation to do anything? I mean, seriously, we can't even agree on anything in this country anymore, right? So here the whole, and Israel's no different. The whole nation of Israel is going to see this event and look what happens. He says, they will look on me whom they have pierced. This is Christ in his second coming who still bears the marks of the, of the crucifixion. Of course, he resurrected and then ascended into heaven. They will mourn for him as one mourns his only son. They will grieve for him as one grieves for a firstborn. And that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning in Hadad Rimon and the plains of Megiddo. Now there's more to this, but this is where I believe this heart of stone of the nation comes out and it's truly a heart of flesh. Again, Israel today, 2021, some really awesome people there, some people that are hard-hearted still. But in Zechariah 12, there's a national transformation that's going to take place. And we look forward to that. It's exciting. However, let's get out of the context and go through the application. There's people walking around today, and I've met many. And I don't even, like, I don't get upset. Like, I, I try to tell them about Jesus. And all of a sudden, like, we could be having a nice conversation. They become hostile because they still have that heart of stone. The things of God 
bother them, like to the point of getting loud. And you're thinking, wow, is a fist going to be coming pretty soon? Maybe I should put my hands up, right? Keep my distance, right? So uh, socially distance uh, from hostile people, right? But, you know, and, and that's true. We live in a culture with a lot of hard-hearted people. And, and then I would say, because that's just me, why are you so angry at God? I don't even believe in God. Yeah, but why are you getting so hostile against somebody that you supposedly don't believe in? And then sometimes it could either get better or it could get worse. But you try to use logic to help them to understand why their, their emotions turned on a dime. And there's a lot of people walking around, you know, crime is on the rise, crime is on the rise in, you know, all across the United States, right? If people are loving God and loving their neighbor, they're not committing crimes. Our culture is taking a turn for the worse. So there's still a lot of hard-hearted people in the United States, and it's sad. So there's a lot, a lot going on here. And I tell you, there's some things about my own life that when I became a Christian, my heart started to soften. Certain topics, certain subjects, certain behaviors, certain habits. I started to see myself change, right? I didn't have as many walls built up anymore. I, my heart was becoming a heart of flesh towards God. Verse 22, last few verses of this chapter is, then the cherubim, the angels lifted up their wings with the wheels besides them, right? This started with chapter one all throughout this book so far. And the glory of God of the God of Israel was high above them. And the glory of the Lord went up from the midst of the city and stood on the mountain, which is on the east side of the city. Then the spirit took me up and brought me in a vision by the spirit of God into Chaldea right? The Babylonian area to those in captivity in the vision that I had sent, I had seen went up from me. So I spoke to those in captivity of all the things the Lord had shown me. So three out of five is, remember the departure of the glory of God. We covered this, you know, of a physical manifestation of God was in the temple for many years. Uh, due to the wickedness and the evil, God, he moved out, right? Um, and you can see this, this transition, and in certain points before his, his physical glory really goes to really be back to heaven, you see these pauses. Verse 23 has another pause. We saw this before. And, and I got to say is that it's, it's tragic, right? Uh, there's subtleties in the Bible. There's innuendos. There's inferences that that verse is not there for no reason. So you could see God is not wanting to depart. But the people have largely kind of, with their hearts, kicked him out of their culture. And only bad things can happen from there. So you see that his glory is, is, is pausing again. And then it finally goes with the angels and it goes to be back into the dimension that God abides in. So, you know, I just want to encourage you, if you're here today and maybe you're seeking, maybe you came with somebody, um, you came for the right sermon. Because God wants every single person to be saved. He wants all of us. You could be five years old. You could be 105. It doesn't matter. You know, God loves all people. And he's going to do things through sermons and others to try to get our attention. But the bottom line is we decide whether we're going to turn to him or not. I can tell you, I rejected God many a times in my youth before I finally fully accepted him. And thankfully, he was patient with me because, 
You know, I, I can imagine what the alternative would have been. So for chapter 12, uh, verse 1 through 16, he says, Now the word of the Lord came to me. These are inextricably linked. I mean, the whole book kind of goes together, but 11 and 12 are important together. Saying, Son of man. So God, the Lord, speaking to the prophet again, you're, you dwell in the midst of a rebellious house, which has eyes to see, but does not see. They have ears to hear. But they do not hear for their rebellious house. Jesus also spoke about this in the first century. Has mankind changed? Sixth century BC, first century AD, 2021. Any different? People are people. Like Jesus said, some will be on the wide path that leads to destruction. Some will take the narrow path that leads to everlasting life. It's a choice. But you can see, you can have something proved to you. I remember one friend I was witnessing to, he goes... He said, just stop. And I respected that. He goes, I can't argue with you. He goes, he was telling me I'm proving the existence of God and the, the uh, offer of a relationship with him. But he said, I'm not ready. You know, what? I love when people are honest. I respect honesty. Okay, you're not ready. Let's go back to what we were doing. Maybe we'll talk about in the future. Maybe we won't. I did my job. When he's ready, that's between him and the Lord. Verse 3, therefore, son of man, prepare your belongings for captivity. I like to say in, in, in our culture, your stuff, you know, I got my stuff. And go into captivity by day in their sight. You shall go from your place into captivity to another place in their sight. And it may be that they will consider, though they are a rebellious house. There was always some that would come out of that. I'd say come out of the matrix, you know, and, and get into reality. Um, by day, you should bring out your belongings in their sight as though going into captivity and at evening, you should go into their sight like those who go into captivity. Dig through the wall in their sight and carry your belongings out through it. In their sight, you shall bear them on your shoulders and carry them at twilight. You shall cover your face so that you can't see the ground for I have made you a sign to the house of Israel. This makes absolutely no sense until you actually pick up a history book. So I did as I was commanded. <laughs> what are you going to do? God calls you to do something. I brought out my belongings by day, and though going into captivity and at evening, I dug through the wall with my hand. I brought them out at twilight, and I bore them on my shoulder in their sight. And in the morning, the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Son of man, has not the house of Israel, the rebellious house, said to you, What are you doing? Say to them, Thus says the Lord God, This burden concerns the prince in Jerusalem. And all the house of Israel who are among them say, I am assigned to you as I have done. So it shall be done to them. They shall be carried away in the captivity. And the prince who is among them shall bear his belongings on his shoulder at twilight and go out. They shall dig through the wall to carry them out through it. He shall cover his face so he can't see the grounds with his eyes. Such detail. I will spread my net over him and he shall be caught in my snare. This is Zedekiah, by the way, the acting king. I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. That's key. I will scatter to every wind all who are around him to help him and all his troops, and I will draw out the sword after them. Then they shall know that I am the Lord when I scatter them among the nations and disperse them throughout the countries. But I will spare a few of the men from the sword, from famine and from the pestilence, so that they may declare all their abominations among the Gentiles, Wherever they go, then they shall know that I am the Lord. So four out of five is the sign of the belonging. So we see Ezekiel. He moves from teaching by vision. This is exactly what's going to happen. 
And this is amazing how God will use so many methods to try to get our attention. And we can still be stubborn. So he goes, Ezekiel's like, listen, you guys, how would I know this unless God took me? We were talking like a thousand mile journey, depending on where Ezekiel was settled down in Babylon. God takes him and transport him, teleports. I have no idea how he does it. Some things we don't know. And he shows him exactly what's happening a thousand miles away or more in Jerusalem. And then he goes back to Babylon. Remember, they didn't have satellite technology. They didn't have uh, iPhones and, you know, taking pictures and doing videos. Uh, You know, they didn't have the Internet. So God did it the old-fashioned way. He did it supernaturally, right? The old-fashioned way. Um, What a ride Ezekiel was on. Uh, The stuff is deep. Okay, so Ezekiel goes from, there's so much here, it's so much in my head. <laughs> it's one thing to know this stuff, and then it's another thing to teach it. Like, I'm pulling, I could be here for three hours, don't worry, I won't. But there's just so much information. It's just so powerful. You know, people say, oh, Christianity is a fairy tale. Really? Have you ever investigated it? Because you'll find that it's not as simple as you think it is. Um, there are some simple things like salvation, which God, even the uneducated, can, can come to God even if they can't read the concepts are so simple salvation but then there's the deeper things of the scripture that we have to kind of apply ourselves it was um i was talking to a young lady this morning she had her plenty of coffee and i said you're going to be super ready to receive the things of god you're going to be revved up because this stuff you got to be paying attention to uh so anyway he moves from teaching by vision back to to symbolism and skits and object lessons God does many things to try to get people's attention. Now, what does this represent? Verse 1 through 4, you see this, this, and again, oh, let's, what do you want to do this morning? Well, let's, let's go to Ezekiel's house, the prophet. Yeah, yeah, let's bring a, bring a bunch of friends and family. I mean, they were in a prisoner of war camp, so to speak, or community. So the, the Jewish people in exile would come and, and watch Ezekiel, and he'd do these skits. And they would have to try to figure out what he was doing. Of course, eventually it would be expressed to him, to them. So he, he's doing this thing where he's, he's got these sacks. It's like a sack and he puts bread and he puts simple things enough to carry. And he's doing this. And then he um, puts the sack down and he's digging through a wall. And like, what is Ezekiel doing? Eventually they figure it out. So it's the sign of the belongings. What's happening is, because it didn't happen yet, he's saying that, as the Babylonians start to get through the walls of Jerusalem, people are going to start panicking and they're going to like pick up these sacks. Now, there's two things going on. Number one, the people trying to escape with their sacks, their rudimentary luggage, <laughs> carry on, so to speak. And then those that were caught and forced into captivity and the Babylonians, again, from a Babylonian mentality, um, their slaves would be no good if they weren't healthy and strong. So they let them take the necessities for the journey. Otherwise, there'd be nobody left by the time they got to Babylon. Interesting, isn't it? There are what's called, and I love archaeology because it supports everything in the scripture. I'm going to find it and probably put it up next Sunday. There are relief carvings of this trek. And you see the Babylonian soldiers, and then you see the Jewish exiles with these sacks over their back with bulges and stuff in it, and they're all walking. This exists today. Right, AD, the Roman wars, uh, Roman Jewish wars, AD sixty six to AD seventy. I'm sure you've seen these if you've any, looked in any archaeological um, studies. Is that they show 
when the Romans sacked the temple and they stripped the gold and the precious metals and stones and they took the labors. And there's actually very famous relief carvings of the Roman soldiers with all this loot when they sacked the temple. So archaeology always backs up the scripture. So these things exist, and I will probably find what I was looking at and show you next Sunday. Verse 5 through 6, dig through the walls, right, with your belongings, but with your face covered so you can't see the ground. The leaders of Jerusalem, they punked out. So in other words, they're telling the people, oh, don't worry about it. Babylonians aren't going to get in. Keep fighting. Keep, you know, stick with us, blah, blah, blah. So then they realize um, they're getting through. So the leaders leave the people and they go to try to escape, which is a pretty crummy thing to do when you told them to stay and not submit to the Babylonians. And what happened was they, they covered their face so they couldn't see the ground because what was happening was especially the king, King Zedekiah, he didn't want to be caught by the Babylonians because he knew what that would mean. So he covered his face you know, in layers, probably tried to look like a peasant. We've seen this all throughout history. The Nazis did the same thing. They knew the Russians were getting into Berlin. So they left the people to fend for themselves, and a lot of them escaped. Terrible. This is what people do when they're awful leaders. Um, so what happens is, now this is, this is amazing because it didn't, as, when he's preaching it, it hadn't happened yet, is that Jehoiachin was literally the last king of the southern kingdom of Judah, right? He's in Jerusalem. He gets taken in one of the earlier sieges and he's, he's deported or exiled to Babylon. So his uncle, Zedekiah, takes his place. Well, God is calling him the prince. He doesn't call him the king because God doesn't recognize him as the king. He didn't go through the proper channels of, being, of becoming a king. So it's kind of interesting how Zedekiah is called the prince, but he's not the king. When you look at Jeremiah 39 and 2 Kings 25, this is fascinating because Zedekiah and his troops, they try to escape. And they literally dig through a weak part of the wall and they, he gets his sack and they, they get through and um, they think they're scot-free. Uh, nobody sees us. Well, the Babylonians eventually caught up with them. He says, I will judge you in the borders of Israel. They take them to Riblah. Riblah is on the northern, uh, it's sort of the Syria area, but it's, it's the northern uh, border, and Israel's borders changed a lot, of Israel. Nebuchadnezzar would sit there and hold high court. He was like, it was like the Nuremberg trials. Again, these people weren't righteous, but this is what they were doing. So they caught Zedekiah. And they took him captive to, and all this stuff has is, is, is come to pass. They take Zedekiah to Riblah. There's a visceral hatred of the Babylonians now to the inhabitants of Jerusalem because they wouldn't submit. And they also didn't listen to God and should have submitted. So now they're really ticked off. So Zedekiah is taken. They take his two sons. It's, it's a horrible thing, but this is history. He, the Babylonians kill Zedekiah's two sons right in front of him. And then they gouge his eyes out. Ugh. So again, history books, it's right there. But what does God say in the prophecy? He says, I will bring him to Babylon. And then, of course, he's taken to Babylon, right? I will bring him to Babylon, to the land of the Chaldeans, yet he shall not see it, though he shall die there. Supposedly, one source I read is that Zedekiah read this and said, how stupid is that? What an arrogant person he was. He's not listening to the prophet. 
And he's telling them, if you keep doing this, this is what's going to happen to you. And he, he rebuffs it because it doesn't make sense. I'm going to go to Babylon, but I'm not going to see it. So he dismisses it. Well, it was done in a way that once it happened to him, he figured out the hard way that that was, that was you know, God's word is always true. Um, I'll just say this, that this didn't have to happen. It didn't have to happen. And you know what? Maybe we don't run into such a, a harsh uh, consequence for our sins, but God is always trying to warn us. You know, people think, oh, you know, God wants to restrict my movement. You know, if I read the Bible and the Ten Commandments and what God is trying to do is keep us safe. You know, when I wasn't a Christian as, as a young man, I, I ran with some rough characters <laughs> early on. And I look back at my life and say, I'm amazed that something horrible didn't happen to me. Now, bad things did happen to me. I, you know, I got into some scuffles and things. Let's just say there were trials that happened to me, but that was who I ran with. My life was about drama. Then I become a Christian and a lot of that stuff starts to get straightened out. And I'm like, you know what? Now my life is peaceful. At my age, do I want to live like that again? Like always looking over your shoulder, right? You're laughing. It's the truth, man. This applies to all of us. You know, there's like safety in following what God says for our lives. I try to avoid the drama when I can, um, even if it comes through family members and stuff. So, so this is what's going. You're laughing. You know, some of you were there. Uh, verse 16, we see that he spares plenty of the people and they start to record the abominations of, of the city. Uh, even Nehemiah, he, when he's petitioning God and he's in captivity and he says, you know, we have sinned. Nehemiah was a good man, but he said we. He's I put myself in this because I went astray. Maybe not as bad as they did, but we sinned against you. So God is, everything that God says comes to pass. It's amazing. You can prove God through prophecy. Uh, verse 7, I did as I was commanded. I did as I was commanded. Should be all of our motto. You know, if God asks us to do something... We can rest in his protection if he's truly calling us to do something. Just be obedient. Not everybody is. Um, Jonah, he, he was sort of obedient, but he had to go through a trial before he became obedient. And he still had a bad attitude at the end of the book. And God's trying to reason with him, right? He's just a loving God. And he uses difficult people sometimes, right? God's not looking, he's not looking for the cream of the crop. He's just looking for someone who will, who will do what he's called them to do. Last few verses, 17. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, eat your bread with quaking, shaking, and drink your water with trembling and anxiety and say to the people of the land, thus says the Lord God to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to the land of Israel, they shall eat their bread with anxiety and drink their water with dread so that her land may be emptied of all who are in it because of the violence of all those who dwell in it. Then the cities that are inhabited shall be laid waste and the land shall become desolate and you shall know that I am the Lord. Again, none of, the, none of this had to happen. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, what is this proverb that you people have about the land of Israel, which says, now this is the false teachers mocking God and his prophets. Oh, the days are prolonged and every vision fails. Tell them, therefore, thus says the Lord God, I will lay this proverb to rest and they shall no more use it as a proverb in Israel. 
because it's going to fail. But say to them, the days are at hand and the fulfillment of every vision. For no more shall there be any false vision or flattering divination within the house of Israel. When someone's trying to teach you the truth and somebody else comes with a competing message and tries to lie to you, a lot of times they'll cover it with flattery because they prey upon our emotions. Oh, this will make them feel... You can watch any of these fake preachers just say, oh, yeah, everything's going to be fine. Just live for yourself. Get this for yourself. Don't worry. That's not a scriptural message. You know, everything you want, you can get. That's not reality either. Verse 25, for I am the Lord. I speak and the word which I speak will come to pass. It will no more be postponed. It's getting closer. For in your days, O rebellious house, I will say the word and perform it, says the Lord. Lord God. Again, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, look, the house of Israel is saying, this is the response. Oh, the vision that he sees, Ezekiel. It's for many days from now. So now their their attitude changes. All right, well, maybe the prophet of God is right, but it's not going to happen in our time period. And he prophecies of times far off. Therefore say to them, thus says the Lord God, none of my words will be postponed anymore, but the word which I speak will be done, says the Lord. Five, trembling, the sign of trembling and anxiety while eating and drinking. Um, You know what this is describing? PTSD. These people live through a war. He's saying to them, these are the things that are going to happen if you continue down this path. Now, I struggled with terrible anxiety and panic attack for some years, and there's a whole reason why that happened. But I remember trying to eat. When you have a sustained, get into the medical field, uh, sympathetic nervous system response versus parasympathetic. Your body produces chemicals that don't sustain proper digestion. So heartburn, right? We call it agita. Um, You can get reflux and all that because your body is not calming down enough to eat the food properly. So he's saying to Ezekiel, this is amazing. This is before anybody coined PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. He's saying, show the people that all the bad stuff that's happening, even their eating is going to be a problem. It's traumatic. It's traumatic. Verses 23 through 23, the false teachers were saying, the days are prolonged, every vision fails. The visions are, you know, many days off. I covered that. Uh, Mocking God's words. And God basically says, and I'm paraphrasing, you know what? I'm not talking anymore. That's it. It's It's coming very soon. You'll see it take place. Verse 24, there'll be no more false visions and flattering divination, constant lies today. I want to leave you with this one scripture before we close. 2 Peter 3. And I really, if you're on the fence about the things of God, I really want you to pay attention to this. Because this is written 2,000 years ago. The Apostle Peter is saying, know this first, that scoffers or mockers will come in the last days walking according to their own lusts, their own beliefs, their own cultural you know, dispositions, and saying, where is the promise of his, meaning Christ's, coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Folks, today, people are saying the same thing. They're saying, you Christians have been talking about the Lord's return for 2,000 years. In that same portion of scripture, Peter says to God and his understanding, which is far greater than ours, because we live a very short lifespan compared to God and his eternity, 
He says to God, a day is as a thousand years as a thousand years is to a day. So to God, Jesus came and he died and for our sins, he was resurrected in heaven two days ago. So to him, it hasn't been that long ago. But the same mockers who are in Jerusalem are in our country in 2021. Trying to eradicate and get Christians on board with this aggressive global movement. Trying to sanitize and cleanse us of our adherence to the scripture. The same mockers are in our culture. And that offends some people. But you know what? The people in Jerusalem were offended too by the truth. And then the Babylonians took over and they're like, well, we should have listened. Right? I mean, does human nature ever change? So Peter's telling us, you'll see, as time moves on, you're going to have those people that mock God, that mock Christians, that mock the return of... He's telling us right here in this book. (sighs) Hope through it all. Let's get to the good part. Ezekiel 11.16. God says, I will be a sanctuary for you. And I would add, even in Babylon. Folks... Wherever we go, whatever our situation, God is with us. You know, you find yourself in a courtroom, you find yourself in a place you don't want to be. God is still there. It says he will never leave us or forsake us. God was saying to the exiles, you're in a POW camp or village. I'm with you. I am with you. And I'm on your side. And watch, you'll see. Things are going to flip and you guys are going to end up, your children and such, going to go back to Jerusalem. Ezekiel eleven seventeen, God says, I will gather you. The Bible tells us in Second Chronicles that God is always scanning the earth, looking for those that he can show himself strong through, right? He's looking to use people. You might be here saying, oh, he can't use me. No, he can use you. Trust me. I will gather you. Jesus said, I wanted to gather um, Jerusalem before A.D. 66 as a, a hen gathers her chicks. That's the way God looks at us, trying to gather us. I was telling my wife the other day, I, I was on the Bluetooth in the car. Um, I'm like, Heather, Heather. There was these wild turkeys that crossed the road. And the little, little baby wild turkeys were, it was so cute. There's like four or five of them. And you could just see the wild turkeys. They didn't care that I was there waiting and I was just going to stop other cars so they didn't get to run over. But their main priority was their little chicks getting across the road. And we're God's little chicks. And I'm cool with that. To the remnant, he says, I will eventually give you the land of Israel. God promises all of his wonderful things will come to pass. If you are new to the church, check out our Revelation 21 study. The beautiful things that God has prepared for us. Amazing in eternity. Ezekiel 12, 15 through 16. The remnant is spared. The remnant is always spared. Even in the seven-year tribulation in Revelation 6, he's, he's got these, these people that were martyred. And he, they're under the altar. And he's, he's, God is comforting them. Says so a little while. A little while. You know, just be a little bit more patient. God doesn't play favorites. He loves all people and his invitation goes all over the world in every time period my question is what about you let's pray you've been listening to to every generation from calvary chapel crossfields we meet for bible study wednesdays at 7 p.m 
and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages, in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to www.cccrossfields.org, where you can also watch or listen to previous messages. If you have any questions or have a prayer request, please email us at contact at cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless.